We have two scripture texts we will read this evening. One is Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11. Exodus 24, verses 1 through 11. That can be found on page 82 in your pew Bibles. We also will be reading from Mark 14. Mark 14, verses 22 through 25. That can be found on page 1082. Mark 14, 22 through 25. And it's a good thing we have more than two fingers, but one other finger in Lord's Day 28. So if you would turn to the Forms and Prayers book, Lord's Day 28, page 230. These passages will serve as the proof, the basis of the Lord's Supper and what we will see expressed in the Catechism. The Catechism is merely an expression of what God's Word teaches. Before we read from Exodus 24, let us ask for God's blessing. Lord God, as we turn to you with our minds on the topic of a covenant meal on the Lord's Supper, we pray that we would see its rich heritage and we would see you in it, as well as your, your love for your people in, in instituting this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 24 is a covenant meal, and here we see a precursor, really a precursor to the covenant meal that we have in the Lord's Supper. Begin reading in verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and ate, and drank. Ascends the reading from Exodus 24. There... Of importance is the blood of the covenant, as well as the meal that Israel, that Moses, through the elders, through their priests, engage in before the Lord. And that statement, they beheld God, they ate and drank. And that statement is meaning that they actually beheld God and weren't destroyed. They weren't killed. You notice in the beginning of that reading that God had kept them apart. Only Moses would come up after the covenant was made, after the blood of that covenant had been sprinkled against the altar and over all the people. They came forward. They beheld the Lord. They ate a covenant meal in his presence and were not destroyed. And now turn with me to Mark. 
Mark 14, 22 to 25, the institution of a better meal, of a better covenant, a better fellowship with the Lord. It says this, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Sends a reading from Mark, and now we turn our attention to Lord's Day 28, so that we may understand how God's word is to be understood with the Lord's Supper, what the Lord's Supper means to the people. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and tastes with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on, we forever live on and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. It was a little while ago, a couple months ago now, when Lauren and I went to the hospital to deliver Joanna. I guess I say, I put myself in there, I guess it was Lauren doing the delivering, but I was there for moral support. As we were in the process, as she was in the throes of labor, I was getting rather hungry. I was in need of some nourishment, but I didn't want to detract from the fact that my wife was in labor 
I was, you know, supposed to be there for her, and, and in that masculine bravado, it was I wasn't going to put anything in place because all that we can do anyways is basically hold their hand. You feel quite worthless at that moment. can't really do much, but I was going to do what I could. My wife, being who she is, was quite aware that I don't do that well when I'm hungry. I get somewhat quiet. I, I just am not myself. And she kept saying, you should get something to eat. And, I, I, and each time she's saying it, I'm saying, oh, come on, you know, stop thinking about me. And we're doing laps around the hospital, speed things up, I guess. And as it kept going, she was growing more insistent, probably because I was growing, I guess, more annoying or something. We'll, we'll go with that. She kept saying, you need nourishment. I know that. I know you need something. And so finally, as I kept saying, no, no, I'm going to be fine, she said, Nathan, you need food, and you'll be better for me if you have food. And as we get closer to the actual time of delivery, I want you there, and I want you to be at your best. Order a sandwich from Jimmy John's. That's what she said, and finally I obliged. I did just that. It was a good sandwich. It was needed. Now why do I say that? Well, it reminds me, what's going on here. It reminds me that we are indeed in need of nourishment. That we need it despite our protests. That the disciples needed it despite their protests. And, and I, I, it sort of registered more with me when you're reading this text as, as Jesus is going through the, the worst of suffering that he would institute a meal for his people, one that he knew they would need. One designed for their refreshment that would aid them on the road. One that would give them himself. That's what we have in the Lord's Supper. Nothing less than that. Something far more, but nothing less than the heart of Jesus Christ giving himself to his people to give us nourishment. And, and despite those protests, the, despite what the disciples might have said, even mirroring my false bravado of, no, I'm fine, I don't need that, when in reality that is something you need, despite the disciples wanting to say something that they don't need strength, that, that Peter or them might say, Lord, we will never forsake you, it would be a foreign thought to them to think that they would ever need to be uplifted by such a meal, but they do. And the heart of our Lord is here with so much meaning as well that we need him. We need him desperately. And he has given himself in his word, but he's taken even another step. He was being insistent to us, you need this meal, take it and do it. It's even a command that we would partake and we would be refreshed. We'll look at that as we follow the outline of the catechism. We will look at the first two question and answers here. The third we'll use as scriptural basis and and background to support what's being said. But before I look at those two question and answers, I want to look at that term, blood of the covenant. That's our first point this evening, blood of the covenant. We read these texts from Exodus. We could have read many more. But you see how important it is, the association of blood with the covenant itself and what's made. There's a really common uh, definition of what a covenant is. Maybe you've heard of it relating to the covenant of grace that God makes with his people. And that's a bond in blood sovereignly administered that's often used to define what a covenant is. That's probably a little too specific for just what a broad-speaking covenant might mean. 
But it, it fits really well for what we see in God's word for the covenants made there, a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. You see, what accompanies covenant making is blood. We didn't read it. We could have read from Genesis 15 when God makes a covenant with Abraham and there's the setting, there's the splitting apart of animals and they, they're cut in half and they're placed along two rows and in that day and age, the two parties of a covenant would walk through this bloody mess and it was a witness, it was a sign of what would happen. It was this bond of promise made in blood that, that to fail to keep it would be death itself. And as we know, who was the party to walk through it alone? It was God himself in Genesis 15 who walked between these pieces and made that covenant bond, a sovereignly administered covenant bond in blood, a promise and an oath that Abraham and his descendants would be his people, that he would be their God. We see that expanded as as Scripture goes on. We see that fulfilled and and even added to and strengthened. We saw that in Exodus 24. Moses reads the book of the covenant, which is in Exodus, the the prior chapters. And he reads it, and it's a mixture of the laws of God, of the promises of God, all these things brought to them. And they, the people in this covenant ceremony we read in Exodus, say, we will keep it. And they make this bloody sacrifice. And the blood is tossed on them and the altar. It's presented before God. This is what would seal the covenant to this blood, the most precious possession. It's life's blood. This is what it means. It's a matter of life and death. And yet, we see here in the text in Mark, Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the one to present a blood, a new blood of the covenant, and a new covenant meal. And just as in Exodus, that meal was, was had in the presence of God himself, and they were spared, so our meal is in the presence of Christ, in the presence of God himself, and we are spared. Why? Why? The elders... Moses, even, was spared because there was blood on him. The blood that had been sprinkled over the covenant community enabled them access to God himself and to the promises that he gave. Why can we come to the Lord's table? That's a question we need to ask more often. It's not a light matter. We are really and truly coming to the presence of God himself there. Why are we not consumed? It isn't because we are so holy. It isn't because we are so good. It's because there's a a blood sprinkled on us. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ, of a better and greater sacrifice, of a greater mediator, of a greater high priest. This is the bond and blood administered by Christ himself to his people. An eternal blood that brings us into God's presence. What a beautiful thing we see there. We see this blood and its importance. Hebrews uh, chapter 13 in the benediction in Hebrews, where Hebrews leaves off and provides this blessing, says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a blessing. What a benediction. But you notice, it says, that, the great, that this was brought, 
Again, from our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd are the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. And it is through that blood and what Christ did that we are equipped with everything good. That we are enabled to do the will of God. That he works in us. That we would do what is pleasing in his sight. It's all through Jesus and what he has done on the cross. This is the blood of the covenant. The catechism in trying to explain what the Lord's Supper is, is really answering these questions. How, what, and where? How, what, and where? How it reminds us that we assure in Christ's sacrifice. How does it do that? That's the first question and answer. What the sacrament means? That's the second question and answer. And where is it found? That's the third question and answer. How, what, and where of this Lord's Day? We're going to focus on that, the first question and answer, in our second point this evening. Remembrance and assurance. Remembrance and assurance. The Lord's Supper is here to remind us of something, and that that something that it's to remind us of is very comforting. So much of God's word and revelation is for that very purpose, to comfort us as this Lord's Supper is, as this meal is. How loving is God? How loving is God that this is what he would do for us? He does it because he loves us. You know, sometimes families can struggle to show their appreciation and love for each other. We sort of assume it, sort of take it for granted that this person means that much to us, that we love our family and family members. We don't often say it. We should, but we assume it. That's not what God does. He doesn't just assume, my people will know that, that I love them. No, he institutes a meal He institutes a meal to provide us that assurance that we would regularly have before us a reminder of his care, a reminder of what he's done for his people. It's a great blessing. God does not show a lack in his comfort and in his provision for his people. He does this throughout his word. He does this wonderfully through the Lord's Supper. And he does this in the fact that he instituted it. It's a nice way of saying he commanded it. He told us to do it. If he wouldn't have told us this, I'm guessing we would mostly lack in its performance. That we'd fail to do it. Sadly, too many churches neglect this. Neglect the the regular participation in this meal. And how negligent would we be if he didn't institute it? You see, even in the institution and the command, there's so much care and grace. What do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes we need to have God's command for what's best for us. We wouldn't do it ourselves. We see the same heartfelt impulse behind a command to rest. To rest one day in seven when we likely would not do that were it not that God commanded it. A command that's so good for us, and that's the same as the Lord's Supper. It's, it's something like an employer, like a boss, who cares so much for his employees, who cares so much for their health, that before they would be overworked, before they would be buried under stress and a workload, would tell his employee, listen, I don't want you coming in tomorrow. In fact, I'm telling you, you can't. I'm telling you, you can't log in to your computer I'm telling you that you're not allowed to drive the tractor. I'm telling you you're not allowed to touch the tools. You're to rest. You're to eat. You're to be refreshed. Wouldn't we all want an employer like that? Who is so concerned for his employers 
I mean, his employees, that that's what he would do. That's the God we have, instituting and commanding, partake of this meal, you need it. It's in the same way that we are commanded to partake. The Catechism says that there's more to it than simply that we are remembering There's promises associated to it. The Catechism says, First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. What does this mean? It's the connection to Christ is unmistakable. The physical elements draw us into it. The bread is the body of Christ given for us. The wine is the blood of Christ spilled for us. As you take it, as you smell it, as you taste it, as you touch it, it's so it's it's there to be a promise, a tangible promise that you can touch and know these aren't just these elements. They signify and represent what was truly given for you. Body and blood of Christ himself. Know it in your hearts, people of God. That is what the Lord is saying. Know it as you take this meal, that the bread that you eat is so much more than that. Really, truly is the body of Christ when we partake in faith. We feed on him spiritually. We're nourished on his sacrifice by remembrance, by assurance, by promise, by the work of the Spirit within us. Even as you ingest it, it becomes part of who you are. Isn't that what food does? That's exactly what happens in us through Christ. Even as we partake of him, we are his body, his blood, his flesh, his bones. We are literally united and joined to him. You can ask, how do I know he did it for me? Well, the answer in short form is, are you partaking? Of this sacrament? Are you partaking in faith? That's how you know he did it for you. Is is the bread in your mouth, are you chewing it? Is the wine on your tongue, are you swallowing it? It's, It's that assured that this is what he did for his people, for those who partake in faith. And and that's to be our assurance, that's to be our delight. When we would come to the Lord's table, that we would savor the eating and drinking of these things because we know this is God's promise given to us. The Lord is with us. This is a promise, but it's also an assurance. Catechism says, Secondly, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and tastes with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. This meal, the sacrament, nourishes and refreshes our soul for eternal life. It's no mistake that Christ spoke and taught the people that he was the bread of life. That he was the water of life. That we would need to partake of him. He does that so often in his preaching, in his teaching. And then he gives us this sacramental meal and this, this, this ceremony to do, to hammer that point home that we need him. And upon having this water of life, we would never thirst again. Upon having his body and his blood, he is with us to nourish and strengthen us for eternal life. That's the goal. How can that be? How can we receive a spiritual nourishment through these things? Well, 
We get this every time we open God's word. We partake in the knowledge of who he is. And we are nourished. Our faith is, is strengthened. We actually, in that sense, are feeding on Christ. And it's the same way that the Spirit would use this sacrament to clearly depict to us our forgiveness of sins, our union with Christ, true faith. And that's what we see there Catechism also says, and I really like this phrase, that he refreshes our soul, refreshes my soul in it. We need him. We need him. I had that Jimmy John sandwich, and it did so much for me, but that was temporary. It's just a sandwich. It's just nourishment for the body, but this refreshes our soul. And Where will you find food for the soul but in God's word and in his sacrament? You won't find it anywhere else. To have a refreshed soul, partake of him, come before him. This is refreshment is something we need dearly. So important that we would have it. Without it, we would find our faith malnourished. That's what's happening in many churches, many of those closest to us. It was actually in a 2023 NAPARC worship study, and for those of you who don't know, NAPARC stands for North American Presbyterian and Reformed Council. It refers to the churches with which we have a loose association and a bond, and, and we generally bring this up as NAPARC is an example for those who are like us, those who are in our groups, a conservative and orthodox understanding of God's word. Well, a study on, the, on NAPARC churches concluded that of those who responded, 39.4%, basically 40%, administer the Lord's Supper less than once a year. Less than once a year. That's, that's so sad. And it's not because we, we would misunderstand the supper and the elements there. It's not as if we would say, the, the, if you can cram in more, more bread and wine, this is better for you. No, it's that what Jesus did is he instituted a meal that was to be for our regular refreshment. And to, to, to put that to the side, we're only hurting ourselves and we're disobeying the command of Christ. This meal we need, we need its nourishment, we need its blessing. And third and finally, what we see here is acceptance and union. Acceptance and union. You might ask, well, what does the Lord's Supper mean and how do I approach and understand it? And the Catechism says it means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. How do you approach the Lord's Supper? Acceptance is the key word there. It's an acceptance of all that Christ did in his sacrifice on the cross. You see, in that way, we, we bring Nothing to the table, literally. We bring nothing there. We don't partake because we're good enough. We don't partake because we have just a sliver of a sacrifice of ourselves that we can offer. It's to accept with a believing heart all of the suffering and sacrifice of Christ himself as the only reason that we approach, as the only reason that we draw near. You see, the true meaning of this sacrament we can put in common terms Justification and sanctification. Justification and sanctification. This sacrament reminds us, as far as justification is concerned, that we are made right before God with nothing in ourselves. That we're accepted by him just as if we've never sinned and as if we are righteous before him because of the body and blood that we partake of. 
And so that Lord's Supper then is a witness of the suffering and death of Christ. And we put it forward to say we bring nothing of ourselves and only him. We are only made right before God because of the truth behind these elements. We also see the meaning of sanctification there. That, and that's that through this sacrament, we are continually sanctified. We are continually nourished. We are continually made like Christ himself as we partake in faith. And so we become like him. That's the meaning behind the Lord's Supper, the sacraments, that we would become before him to be reminded of justification, of sanctification, of what he has done. In this answer, we especially see union with Jesus. Baptism showed us the same. Then it's no surprise that this is what the Lord's Supper does, union with him. Catechism says, through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body, And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Union. Union with Christ. That's what happens at the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. We come before him and see we are united to him by faith. Can't help but happen. We're ingesting him. There's the meaning. There's what's being depicted there. We belong to him. Jesus is not with us bodily, nor does his body descend down to these elements, but we are taken up. Taken up to Jesus himself, and we have fellowship with him. And so the Lord's Supper is like an anniversary meal, commemorating an event that we remember, but it's not just... It's not just a meal to remember, just like an anniversary meal isn't just meant there so we would look back upon a wedding ceremony. It's there because there's an ongoing relationship. There was something established. There's an event we are commemorating. We are commemorating the death of Christ. We are remembering that, but it's a celebration of an ongoing fellowship and union with him. Just as husband and wife can celebrate that at their anniversary, that is what is going on. The Lord's Supper. I want to close and leave us with a thought from an author writing about the Lord's Supper. When we eat and drink them in faith, we can be assured that we receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. More than that, we get a picture of our union with Christ. As we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we literally have communion with him. By experiencing his presence through his spirit, we have union in communion with him. Whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we not only reproclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, we reconvince ourselves of God's provision on the cross. We can hear the gospel every Sunday and eat it too. We can hear the gospel every Sunday and eat it too. That's what that author says. And that is why it's there that we would not only re-proclaim his death, that you would re-convince yourself of God's provision on the cross. The Lord's Supper is there before us to understand the gospel, to even eat it. What a gracious God we have, and what a blessing it is we are brought to his table. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord in heaven, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be given this meal, 
And we thank you that we are able to regularly partake of it, to find our souls refreshed, to partake of you, to be nourished where we need it, even on your own institution and command. We pray, Lord, that as we would understand it, we would approach it with a greater solemnity, but as well a greater rejoicing and thanksgiving. For here we celebrate our lives with you. We pray this in your great name.